This is Classic Lutheran Preaching on KNNA LP 95.7, Lincoln, Nebraska. This is Pastor John Schmidt with an abridged presentation of Martin Luther's sermon for the 14th Sunday after Trinity. This is from the John Nicholas Lenker Collection, published in 1905 and reissued by Baker Bookhouse in 1983. The scripture text is from Luke chapter 17. And it came to pass, as they were on the way to Jerusalem, that Jesus was passing along the borders of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, who stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go and show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass, as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back with a loud voice glorifying God, and he fell upon his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were not the ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there none found that returned to give glory to God, save this stranger? And he said unto him, Arise, and go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. This is our text. Christ journeyed from Capernaum eastward to the Jordan and southward from Galilee to Jerusalem, which was a tiresome, far, and circuitous route, in doing which he took his own leisure and time. For he did not journey thus for his own sake, but in order to preach as much as possible and be of service to many. Therefore he journeyed on the borders of these lands to appear publicly, that people might come to him from all sides to hear him and obtain his help. For he was sent to offer his services to everyone that all might freely enjoy his favor and grace. Thus the evangelist now describes the miracle and says, And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, who stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. The evangelist, according to the custom of Holy Writ, desires hereby to indicate the great earnestness of their desire, that the voice of their heart was great that compelled them to cry out bodily as loud as they could. This entire gospel, however, is a plain, simple history or transaction which requires little explanation, yet as plain as it is, great is the example it presents to us. In the leper it teaches us faith. In Christ it teaches us love. Now, as I have often said, faith and love constitute the whole character of the Christian. Faith receives, love gives. Faith brings man to God, love brings man to his fellow. Through faith he permits God to do him good. Through love he does good to his brother man. For whoever believes has everything from God and is happy and rich. Therefore he needs henceforth nothing more. But all he lives and does he orders for the good and benefit of his neighbor. And through love he does to his neighbor as God did to him through faith. Thus he reaps good from above through faith and gives good below through love. Against this kind of life work righteous persons with their merits and good works terribly contend, for they do works only to serve themselves. They live only unto themselves, and do good without faith. These two principles, faith and love, we will now consider as they appear in the lepers and in Christ. In the first place, it is a characteristic of faith to presume to trust God's grace, and it forms a bright vision and refuge in God, Doubting nothing, it thinks God will have regard for his faith and not forsake it. For where there is no such vision and confidence, there is no true faith. 
and there is also no true prayer nor any seeking after God. But where it exists, it makes men bold and anxious freely to bring his troubles unto God and earnestly to pray for help. Now such wavering and doubt offers sluggish prayers. It does not raise the voice nor go forward to meet Christ. It indeed murmurs many words and chants many songs very unwillingly. But it does not pray and only desires first to be sure it will be heard, which is nothing else than to tempt God. But true faith does not doubt the good and gracious will of God, wherefore its prayer is strong and firm like faith itself. So Luke does not relate three things of them in vain. First, that they went to meet him. Second, they stood. Third, they lifted up their voices. By these three things, their strong faith is commended and presented to us as an example. The going forth to meet him is the boldness excited by comforting assurance. The standing is the firmness and sincerity against doubt. The lifting up of the voice is the great earnestness in prayer growing out of such confidence. But powerless doubt does not go forth, nor stand, nor call, but turns and twists and hangs the head, grasps it in the hands, opens the mouth wide, and stammers forth perpetually, Who knows? Who knows if it were certain? How if it would fail? And similar faint-hearted expressions. For it has no favorable conception or thought of God, expects nothing of him, and hence will receive nothing, as James says in chapter 1. But let him ask in faith, nothing doubting, for he that doubteth is like the surge of the sea driven by the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Afterwards they come like the foolish virgins who spilt their oil with their empty lamps, that is, with their works, and think God should hear them knock and open to them. But he will not. Behold, this good inclination or comforting trust or free presumption before God, or whatever you may call it, in the scriptures is called Christian faith and a good conscience, which man must have if he desires to be saved. But it is not obtained by human works and precepts, as we shall see in this example, and without such a heart no work is good. Therefore be on your guard. There are many lecturers who want to teach faith and conscience, and know less about them than a common blockhead. They think it is a sleepy, lazy thing in the soul, that it is enough for the heart to believe that God is God. But here you observe what a thoroughly living and powerful thing faith is. It creates wholly a new heart, a new man, who expects all grace from God. Therefore it urges to walk, to stand, and make bold to cry and pray in every time of trouble. The second characteristic of faith is that it does not desire to know nor first to be assured whether it is worthy of grace and will be heard like the doubters who grasp after God and tempt him. Just as a blind man runs against a wall, so they also plunge against God and would first gladly feel and be assured that he cannot escape out of their hands. The epistle to the Hebrews in chapter 11 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. This clearly means faith holds fast to what it does not see, feel, or experience, either in body or soul. But as it has firm trust in God, it commits itself to and relies upon it without any doubt, but its hope will be realized. Thus it will also certainly be realized, and the feeling and experience will come to it unsought and unsolicited, even in and through such hope or faith. For tell me, who had given these lepers a letter and seal that Christ would hear them? Where is there any experience and feeling of his grace? Where is the information, knowledge, or certainty of his goodness? 
Nothing of the kind is here. What then is here? A free resignation and joyful venture on his imperceptible, untried, and unknown goodness. Here there is no trace in which they might discover what he would do, but his mere goodness alone is kept in view, which fills them with such courage and venture to believe he would not forsake them. Whence, however, did they receive such knowledge of his goodness, for they must have known of it before, be they ever so inexperienced and insensible of it, without doubt from the good reports and words they had heard about him, which they had never yet experienced. For God's goodness must be proclaimed through his word, and thus we must build upon it untried and inexperienced, as will hereafter appear. The third characteristic of faith is that it allows of no merit, will not purchase the grace of God with works like the doubters and hypocrites do, but brings with it pure unworthiness, clings to and depends wholly on the unmerited favor of God. For faith will not tolerate works and merit in its company, so entirely does it surrender, venture, and raise itself upon the goodness for which it hopes, that for its sake it cannot consider either good works or merit. Yea, it sees that this goodness is so great that all good works compared with it are nothing but sin. Therefore it finds only unworthiness in itself, that it is more worthy of wrath than of grace, and it does this without pitting one against the other, for he sees how in reality and in truth it cannot be otherwise. These lepers here prove this clearly, who hope for the grace of Christ without the least merit. What good had they ever done to him before? They had never seen him. How could they have served him? Besides, they were lepers whom he could justly have avoided according to the law in Leviticus 13, and kept himself free from them as was just and right. For in reality and truth there was unworthiness and reason why he should have nothing to do with them, nor they with him. For this cause they also stand far off like those who well knew their unworthiness. Thus faith also stands far from God, and yet it goes to meet him and cries out, for it knows itself in the reality of truth to be unworthy of his goodness, and has nothing on which to depend except his highly renowned and loudly praised goodness. And such a soul also seeks Christ's favor, while it stands far off and is empty, for it cannot in the least tolerate in its company our merit and work, and comes freely like Christ into this village to the lepers, in order that its praise may be free and pure. Observe how everything agrees perfectly that God's love gives its favor freely, does not take or seek anything for it, and how faith also receives quite freely and pays nothing for it, and thus the rich and the poor meet together, as the Psalms say. To this their words also testify when they say, Have mercy on us. He who seeks mercy, of course, neither buys nor sells anything, but seeks pure grace and mercy as one unworthy of it, and evidently having greatly deserved the contrary. Behold, here is a good, real, living, and true example of Christian faith that sufficiently teaches us how we must be disposed if we would find grace, piety, and salvation. Now, in addition to this doctrine follows the incentive or inducement to faith that we should gladly believe as we are at present taught to believe. This incentive, however, consists in that we observe how such faith never fails that as it believes, so it comes to pass, and that it is certainly heard and answered. For Luke describes how graciously and willingly Christ beheld and heard these lepers, and says, And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go and show yourselves unto the priests. 
How very friendly and lovingly the Lord invites all hearts to himself in this example and stirs them to believe in him. For there is no doubt that he desires to do for all what he does here for these lepers, if we only freely surrender ourselves to him for all his favor and grace. Just as true faith in a Christian heart should do and delight to do, so these lepers also do and teach us to do. For how earnestly the Lord desires that we should joyfully and freely venture to build on his favor before we experience or feel it. He has here sufficiently testified that he hears them willingly, without any hesitation, that he does not say first that he will do it, but as though it were already done, he did as they wished. For he does not say, Yes, I will have mercy on you, you shall be cleansed, but merely, Go and show yourselves unto the priest. As though he would say, There is no use of asking, your faith has already acquired and obtained it, before you began to ask. You were already cleansed in my sight when you began to expect such things of me. It is no longer necessary. Only go and show your purity to the priests. As I consider you and as you believe, so you are and shall be. For he would not have sent them to the priests if he had not considered them clean, and so wished to deal thus with them as those who had become cleansed. Behold, so powerful is faith to obtain all at once of God that God considers it done before the asking. Of this Isaiah says in chapter 65, And it shall come to pass that before they call I will answer, and while they are yet speaking I will hear. Not as though faith or we were worthy of it, but in order that he might show his unspeakable goodness and willing grace, thereby to stir us to believe in him and comfortingly look to him for every good thing, with joyful and unwavering consciences, which do not stumble after him nor tempt him. So now you also see that Christ hears these lepers before they call, and before they cry out he is prepared to do all their hearts desire. Go, he says, I will not add a word, for it has succeeded in your case further. No promise or consent is necessary. Take what you ask and go. Are not these strong incentives that make the heart joyful and eager? Behold, then, his grace permits itself to be grasped and felt, yea, it grasps and satisfies us. This has been said on the first part, namely faith. Now we must also examine the other part of this example of the nature of Christianity, love. The lepers have instructed us how to believe. Christ teaches us to love. Love does to our neighbor as it sees Christ has done to us, as he says in John 13. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. And immediately afterwards he says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. What else does this mean than to say, Through me in faith you now have everything that I am and have. I am your own. You are now rich and satisfied through me. For all I do and love, I do and love not for my, but only for your sake and I only think how to be useful and helpful to you, and accomplish whatever you need and should have. Therefore consider this example to do to each other as I have done to you, and only consider how to be useful to your neighbor, and do what is useful and necessary for him. Your faith has enough in my love and grace, so your love shall also give enough to others. Behold, this is a Christian life, and in brief it does not need much doctrine or many books, it is wholly contained in faith and love. Thus also St. Paul says, Galatians 6, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
And to the Philippians in chapter 2 he says, Not looking each of you to his own things, but each of you also to the things of others. And here he gives us Christ as an example when he says later, Who, existing in the form of God, counted not the being of an equality with God a thing to be grasped? Who, although he was true God, yet became our servant and served us and died a scandalous death for us? This Christian, free, and joyful life has the evil spirit as its enemy, who with nothing else does such great injury as with the doctrines of men, as we shall hear. For truly the manner of a Christian's life is briefly marked out in the words, Have a good heart toward God and a good will toward your fellow man. Here it consists entirely within us. His good heart and faith naturally teach him how to pray. Yea, what is such faith but pure prayer? It continually looks for divine grace, and if it looks for it, it also desires it with all the heart. And this desire is really the true prayer that Christ teaches and God requires, which also obtains and accomplishes all things. And because it does not trust or seek comfort in itself, its works or worthiness, but builds upon God's pure grace, therefore whatever he believes, desires, hopes, and prays also comes to pass. So that the holy prophet Zechariah justly calls the Spirit a spirit of grace and of prayer, where God says in Zechariah 12, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Because faith recognizes and desires God's favor without any intermission. Again, love naturally teaches him how to do good works, for they alone are good works which serve your neighbor and are good. Yea, what is such love but only good deeds continually shown toward your neighbor, so that our work is called love, our faith is called prayer? Thus Christ speaks in John 15. This is my commandment, that ye love one another, even as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. As though he would say, So completely have I done all my works for your benefit, that I also gave my life for you which is the greatest love of all, that is, the greatest work of love. If I had known a greater love, I would have manifested it to and for you. Therefore you should also love each other and do all good deeds to one another. I require no more of you. I do not say you are to build for me churches, make pilgrimages, fast, sing, become monks or priests, or that you are to enter into this order or rank, but you do my will and service when you do good to each other. And no one cares for himself but for others, and on this all entirely depends. See, this is what James means when he says in chapter 2, Faith apart from works is dead. For as the body without the soul is dead, so is faith without works. Not that faith is in man and does not work, which is impossible, for faith is a living, active thing. But in order that men may not deceive themselves and think they have faith when they have not, they are to examine their works, whether they also love their neighbors and do good to them. If they do this, it is a sign that they have the true faith. If they do not do this, they only have the sound of faith, and it is with them as the one who sees himself in the glass, and when he leaves it, sees himself no more, but sees other things, forgets the faith in the glass, as James says in his first chapter. Now let us observe the works of the love of Christ in this example of the ten lepers. But what is in Christ besides pure love? Everyone can easily find out for himself. First, why is it necessary for him to travel between Samaria and Galilee? Or who paid him anything for doing this? Or who requested him to do so? 
Is it not manifest that he does all this freely, willingly, without receiving anything for it, and comes of himself uninvited, that no one can say that he deserves such a visitation or acquired it by prayer? Thus we see here that he does nothing whatever for himself or for his own sake, but all for the sake of others, unrequested and altogether freely out of mere grace and love. In like manner, that he had just gone into this village, why did he need to do this? Who asked him to do so? Who paid him anything for it? Is it not true that he came before any merit was possible, any prayer could be said, and offers his love and kindness freely and gratuitously, and seeks nothing of his own in it, but only serves others thereby, so that he might draw all hearts unto himself to believe in him? Behold, such virtue has love that it does not only good and lives for the benefit of others, seeks nothing with selfish motives, gives all freely and gratuitously, and surprises everyone. Such life and work you must observe and direct your life accordingly, if you would be a Christian, and banish all such works and power from your view that are not of this nature, even if they be so great as to remove mountains, like the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians 13. Note in the second place how Christ does good without harm to others, yea, by preventing harm to others. For there are some who do good in a way that is harmful to others, as the proverb runs, they offer a lady a penny and steal her horse. So they who give alms from ill-gotten goods, as God says in Isaiah 61, For I, Jehovah, love justice, I hate robbery for burnt offering. Of this nature are nearly all monasteries and cloisters that devour the sweat and blood of the people and then pay God with masses, vigils, rosaries, or monasteries and holidays, and at times they also give an alm. This is to love with the goods of others and to serve God in prosperous days and in the fullness of wealth with all sufficiency. This disgraceful well-being is indeed a far-reaching plague. But here Christ does no one harm, but prevents injury, rather, and directs the lepers to the priests, so that they may be deprived of none of their rights. Thus he bestows his kind deeds upon the lepers, as though he went into this village for this purpose. He looks upon them graciously and willingly, and gladly helps them. Besides, he thereby also prevents any disadvantage to the priests, although he is under no obligation to them. For as he cleansed the lepers in a supernatural manner without the priests doing anything, he was indeed not obliged to direct them to them, and could say, Inasmuch as you have not performed your office toward these according to the law, therefore you should also not have the emoluments of the office which is just and right. But love does not look on what is right, nor does it contend. It is present only to do good, and so it does even more than it is obliged to do, and goes beyond what is right. Therefore, St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 that among Christians there should be no lawsuits or court because love does not seek or demand its rights nor cares for them, but is bent only on doing good. Although he says in another place in 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Thus are truly the learned of our day who teach much about rights, which is only unchristian and opposed to love, I do not speak of those who are forced to contend for their rights, for as right is preferred by some unchristian people, they must be present and defend the rights so that nothing worse occurs. It is not Christian to hang or to crush under the wheel, but in order to restrain murderers, such things must also be done. It is not Christian to eat and drink, nevertheless man is compelled to do both. 
These are all necessary works which do not concern the inner nature of Christianity. Therefore a person should not be satisfied in doing them as though the doing of them made a Christian. The work in the married state is not distinctively Christian, yet it is necessary to avoid evil. Other examples might also be given. Thirdly, Christ shows love is still greater in that he exercises it where it is lost and receives ingratitude from the majority. Ten lepers were cleansed and only one thanks him. On the nine, his love is lost. If he would have made use of justice here instead of love, as men are accustomed to do and nature teaches, he would have made them all lepers again. But he lets them go and enjoy his love and kind deed, although they return to him enmity instead of thanks. Nor did he prevent the priests from enjoying their own, but gave them their honor and rights, although without any need and obligation to do so. And the priests thanked Christ by alienating from him the lepers, so that they believed Christ did not cleanse them, but their offering in obedience to the law did it. And thus they destroy the faith in the lepers, and cause Christ to be despised and hated by them, as though he had taken to himself an office that did not belong to him. But Christ permits both parties to go and enjoy his goodness. He is silent about his rights, receives hatred and displeasure for praise and thanks, that we may hereby learn how we often pray, and that it were better for us if our prayers were not answered. It would have been better for those lepers if they had remained unclean than that by their bodily cleansing they should become diseased with a more dangerous spiritual leprosy. Now study this example and incite your life that you may do your good works not only without harm to others but also to their advantage, and not only to friends and the good but consider that the greater portion will be lost and that you will receive ingratitude and hatred as your reward. Then you will walk the right road in the footprints of Christ your Lord. Until you have accomplished this, you should not regard yourself a true, perfect Christian. It matters not whether you wear ten hairy shirts and fast every day, or celebrate Mass every day and pray the Psalter, make pilgrimages, and establish churches or yearly festivals. For Christ wishes to have such works done, if they are done in the right spirit. Behold, this is truly a Christian life. May God preserve it. Amen. This has been a presentation of classical Lutheran preaching from the sermons of Martin Luther, the John Nicholas Linker Collection of 1905, and reprinted by Baker Bookhouse in 1983.